Welcome to the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dicka on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Today's guest, one of the best analysts out there, former head coach of St. John's of New Mexico, of Manhattan. He is also a new head coach. I can't wait to hear a little bit more about it for USA Basketball and one of their new endeavors in the world of three-on-three, which anyone here in Spokane knows how big three-on-three is because of Hoop Fest. So without further ado, Coach Fran Fraschilla, thanks for joining. Dan, it's always a pleasure. Uh, We go back many years. You know how much I love the Zags and Coach Few. And uh, anytime I get a chance to talk hoop with you, I'm, I'm always in. So Glad to be with you for a few minutes today. All right. Well, let's just jump right into the three-on-three head coach opportunity that came up. Um, I want to hear more about this. This is, I'll tell you, I wish you were like five years younger because I think I could have convinced you to play. Uh, It is a great, uh, there's no 30-second elevator pitch. I have to explain this to people. It's three-on-three, half-court, 12-second shot clock, and it is crazy fast. It's like... If five on five was the mile run, this is the 200 meter hurdles. Uh, you got you got to be in condition. You got to be agile. You got to be quick. And um, it's an Olympic sport now. Um, Kelsey Plum from the state of Washington, you know, Huskies. She was on the gold medal team in Tokyo, made up of WNBA players. Our men did not qualify. It is a very popular sport in Asia. It's a very popular sport in Europe because you only need four players, three play at a time. And uh, USA basketball is great at everything uh, except men's three on three in part because it's a new sport. So we are, I've been tasked with kind of building an Olympic type program. Uh, We have a six man team. We'll travel four to every tournament this summer, Europe, uh, Edmonton, Asia, and uh, five of the six guys that are on my team are good G League players. Um, and these are kids that still want to play in the NBA. But it's a great summer job because they can make some money on the pro tour. Think of it as beach volleyball compared to volleyball. That's what three on three is. You guys know Hoop Fest. Um, so you have a little bit, little bit of idea in Spokane in the Northwest of what I'm talking about. But with the 12-second shot clock, Dan, it is a crazy fast-paced game. Yeah, that 12-second shot clock, it's got me ready to play just because there's plenty of shots for everyone. Yes. Defensively, you're going to have to be in great shape to kind of, you know, uh, get back in position. So let me guess, clear, clarify the rules. Rebound happens, you have to clear it past the three-point line or a designated yes. spot. Yeah, you got to take it out. You put you play to 21 like we did in the, you know, like we did in the playground in the Y. Um, one point uh, inside the arc, it's one point. Outside the arc, it's two. So it's worth a little, little bit more. The three-point shot is worth a little more in, in what we call 3x3. Um, you have to, you pretty much have to sub on every dead ball because it's a very tiring game. And it's tailor-made for the 6'3 to 6'7 skilled athletic guy. Like, like a, like a uh, Matt Bolden would have been great at this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd have been recruiting the hell out of Matt to play for <laughs> us because in that, that six-foot-five guy who can guard all three positions – uh, you know, the wing spots, put it on the floor, maybe post up a little. Um, it's that versatile six, five, six, 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 seven guy that really fits the game. Not that there's not room for a six, two score. There is for sure, but it's a fun, fast paced, uh, athletic game. And it's catching on in Europe. It's catching on, like I said, in Asia, and we're just trying to catch up. And by the way, we have a lot of players that are going to be great at this. 
They just don't know about it yet. And I'm, yeah. I'm tasked with convincing them. Like if you took like a, let's take like a, uh, like Jimmy Butler at the end of his career, you know, if he decided at 35, he wanted to play a little bit more basketball, this would be a great summer sport for him to continue to play and maybe play on an Olympic team. So uh, I'm working at it. I'm pumped up about it. Well, it sounds like you are excited about it. And I, I like it because I think three on three, yeah, it's great as a de- for younger kids to develop as well as the older players that are college and pro to teach specific points. But yes. it's also because there's more touches. You're involved in every piece of the action. And so you learn, I think, from three on three much quicker. Is that part of the, the building of it to get yes. to, the, to the youth and talk to them about it that way? You know, I'll tell you, Dan, I, I've talked to college coaches about this. This is a great summertime workout for your team when you don't want to just beat them into the ground. It's great for youth development. When we had our training camp a few weeks ago in Springfield, Massachusetts, and we had mostly G League guys. We had them for 12 days until we picked the team. The skill level of the guys improved from day one to day 12, because to your point, everybody has to handle the ball, but more importantly, everybody has to make quick decisions because the shot clock comes at you quick. Mm -hmm. And so five, four, three, two, one guys have to really think the game and they have to play a lot of two man basketball. Um, You really have to be cerebral as well as athletic and we're going to be the most athletic team on the European tour this summer. We're just not going to have the cerebralness and experience of teams that have been together for five years plus. And I think we'll catch up eventually, but to your point about making quick decisions and skill development, it is a great youth development uh, deal to the point where we had Jimmy Barron, who was a terrific player in Europe came to our training camp. He's the skill development guy down at IMG Academy and they're already implementing 3x3 down at IMG. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I have a shoot 360 gym now in Spokane. I might uh, try to add some of this uh, towards some of our programming later this summer because I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Use the shot clock. And also, if you need any help, we're here to help you. Awesome. I'm going to reach out offline and get some more information on that. Now, let's go back and, and talk about one of our passions and that's college basketball. Yes. It's been a topsy turvy off season <laughs> with transfer portal NIL yeah. guys going yeah. to the draft and then withdrawing their names. Who's been the biggest winner or winners in college basketball's off season? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I would say the biggest loser is the fans because you don't know who's on your team. True. You know, and it's not, Hey, listen, I'm all for it. I get the NIL. I get maybe transferring, one time be eligible right away. Maybe your coach leaves, you get another opportunity to transfer. But uh, I, I am not putting together. I'm not, I'm not going to start studying college basketball rosters and articles until October 1st. Cause who knows who's going to be where. So, I mean, you know, the biggest winners obviously are those schools that not only have won successfully, you know, let's take Gonzaga. It's such close, so close to home. Mark and the staff and others, other schools, a few other schools have figured out in recent years that guys that transfer aren't necessarily guys with a, with a checkered background. Okay. And if you look at the guys that have transferred to Gonzaga over the last 20 years, there's been some amazing success stories. That's going to be true again of college basketball. Um, And so I think uh, what you have to do is navigate the transfer portal 
in a way that um, you can't necessarily, and I think Gonzaga is even probably in this, in this situation too, to some degree, Dan, you can't build a roster the way you used to. It's rare that a Drew Timmy is going to be around for three or four years if they're a great college player. And so what Mark and Coach Few's been able to do, getting that transfer to play one or two years, I think that's the new wave. And you almost have to be a junior college coach or a G League coach GM to be yeah. a college basketball coach now because you've got so much coming and going. And obviously, Gonzaga's done that well through the years, and it's worked great for them. And I think other coaches are trying to go to school on how how the transfer situation works and how the portal works. Yeah, I think you mentioned about the the G League and and uh, the managing of rosters. Uh, Eric yeah. Musselman, I think, does as good a job as anybody in college basketball because yeah. he had that CBA background. He had that NBA background. Yes. That he can mix and match uh, lineups in rosters in, in no time. But I think you're seeing a number of coaches just say, hey, this is different. I'm not in this anymore. And I'm not saying that's why Coach K retired or yeah. Roy Williams did a year ago. But Jay Wright recently retired when I think a lot of people thought he had another five, six years, however long he wanted to coach. Yeah. You think there's going to be more coaches um, that are just going to be like, hey, enough's enough. This is a, just a more different than I signed up for. Uh, there'll probably be some of that. I know, you know, in Coach Wright's case, because my son, Matt, has been on their staff as the video coordinator. I, I knew a few weeks before that Coach Wright I don't think it really had anything to do. Now, I'm sure it's tougher now than it was 20 yeah. years ago. But, no, I think Coach Wright at 60 years old, two national titles, um, grown children, uh, plenty of money, probably a chance to go to TV if he wants to do it. I thought that was a perfect opportunity. I think you and I would probably agree that we would not be surprised right in the middle of what has been a great career if Coach Few decides – Hey, I'm going to go fishing full time. You know, yeah. there's certain guys I don't think need it like other guys need it. And I think that's where coach Wright was. But I talked to Kelvin Sampson about this during last summer. We were talking about NIL and transfer portals. And he said, Hey, when you and I got into coaching, believe it or not, Dan, I'm this old, there was no three point line. And he said, when you and I got into coaching, there was no shot clock. That's how old I am, by the way. <laughs> uh, and he goes, we figured it out. Um, we'll figure out the transfer portal and we'll figure out NIL. So I think most coaches are going to be able to do that. It's just different and you got to adjust and you have to live in the portal. You can't just survive on just high school kids and very few schools can do what Jay Wright did or, or Tony Bennett's doing or Mark few, but you have to reinvent yourself, I think, in order to be successful at coaching. And you're going to have to be more like Eric Musselman and less like the old school guys like Bayheim and, and Roy Williams. Some great names were thrown around right there. And <laughs> we talk about though, you know, the management of roles and rosters. Yeah. Duke just did something unique. Coach John Shires in his first year as a head coach, yes. they went and actually hired a general manager. Yeah. What's the inside scoop that you know of as far as handling responsibilities? Because uh, I mean, that is creative as it gets. I, I think that's a phenomenal move by John Shire. You know, it's funny. I was, I was, we had our training camp, a second training camp, three X three training camp at Duke last week. And so I got to see coach Shire and the next day he hired Rachel Baker from Nike, by the way, she's the daughter of Rod Baker. I don't know if you ever know if you knew Rod, Rod's been a longtime college coach, NBA scout. And so it's beautiful. I'm her background is the NBA and Nike. And 
I think more and more of the elite schools are going to go to a situation where everything's buttoned up. NIL, um, you know, the amount of money you can make legally as an athlete at a place like Duke or Gonzaga, you know, these, these, these smart coaches are going to, you know, listen, these kids are pros now, Dan, they are. Yeah. There's just no, there's no two ways about it, especially in the top 75. They are de facto pro players. And so you have to have a professional mindset when you're, when you're putting together your team and recruiting the best players in the country. And I thought it was brilliant on, uh, on coach Shire's part to think outside the box and other coaches are going to do the same thing. Let's go to the NBA draft. Now it's, uh, less yep. than a week and a half away. It's one of the, the most fun times as a fan because you can speculate in so many different directions. Yeah. I think there's a clear-cut top three, and that's Chet, Jabari Smith, and Van Caro, but it could go any direction. What are you disagree. Seeing? What are I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say it's a top four with Jade and Ivy from Purdue. Do you think he could sneak into that top three? I do. I do. Really? I okay. do. I think he can. But, yes, I think it's the three bigs. And in my opinion, Jaden Ivey. Okay. I, I was impressed with his game when I saw it last year. I never saw it yeah. in person right. due to my, my broadcasting roles, never took me to Purdue. But yeah. if he were to fall to four, if I'm not mistaken, four is Sacramento. They just drafted Mitchell a season ago. Yep. You with your insider coverage of the NBA draft every year, what do the average fan not understand about the wheeling and dealings leading up to draft day? Well, I would say, first of all, that my own personal philosophy and the philosophy of others is unless two guys are exactly even, no matter what the position, take the best player. Like if Jaden Ivey, if you think he's going to be Russell Westbrook, which I kind of do, I heard John Moran, but he's not really a playmaker. He's more of that up and down athletic, crazy fast twitch scorer. If you think he's going to be Russell Westbrook, then you figure out a way. And there's nobody else at four if you're the Kings. I do think the Kings, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Blazers are all going to look to make trades if they're not happy with not getting one of the big three or if Ivy's gone. Because then I think that, uh, you know, you, you I think you're going to see some trading in that top 10 to try to get a veteran player. Like Sacramento could definitely use a veteran player if they're not convinced that Jaden Ivy is a superstar. Because to your point, they got two young, really good guards. Um, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation going on behind the scenes that people don't realize. I'm always of the opinion, take the best player available. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've studied these guys. I don't know who the best player of the big three are. Yeah, I yeah. can make a legitimate argument for Jabari Smith, for Chet Holmgren or Paolo Bancaro. Um, and I'm not sure, Dan, honestly, who the best is going to be. Uh, I do know this. If you're if you're the Orlando Magic, a you can't get it wrong, and b what they don't have is a bona fide go to first option scorer. Wendell Carter's gotten better. Uh, you know we think Jalen Suggs is going to be a good player in time. Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz, but Jabari Smith looks like a lot lot rock solid NBA All Star with that shooting stroke athleticism. And then you watch Chet play and you say, wait a minute, is this kid one of those Giannis type guys that if we don't take him, we're going to regret missing out on the shot blocking, the athleticism, shooting 80% at the rim at seven, one handling the ball in the open court, like I've seen him do. So I'm not smart enough to figure out who the best of those three is right now. <laughs> I just hope that, our, that the magic figure it out. I will say one other thing about this. 
Sam Presti has gotten it right many times. And I wouldn't shock me if he took Jay Nivey at number two, if his guy is not there at number two. Wow. Interesting. I'm going to have to keep that one in the back of my mind as, uh, as I do more reading and then watching the draft in the next couple of days. Um, let's go to the WCC. The league was tremendous last year. Three teams, yep. obviously, in the tournament. Santa Clara, if they didn't have injuries and some COVID issues, they may have made the, the tournament. BYU faltered down the stretch. But yep. this league keeps getting better. And now you get some impact transfers. Coach Steve Lavin comes back yep. to the sidelines after broadcasting. What are you seeing with the WCC? You know, I think it took longer than I expected, but I, I honestly thought that the success of Gonzaga um, would make everybody better because you have to, you have to, in order to compete, you know, the, the big fish in the small pond every year is Gonzaga. I think finally teams are not necessarily catching up to Gonzaga. Uh, at times, St. Mary's has been there with them and BYU, but I, I think that what makes the league so watchable now is that the middle and the bottom of the league is getting better and better to the point where either they're in contention for at-large bids or they're definitely postseason NIT teams. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with coaching. But quite frankly, Dan, given how dominant Gonzaga has been, the only team that's really kept pace with them over 20 years is, is St. Mary's. And I guess to a lesser extent what BYU has done since coming into the league. In order for the league to be at its best and for Gonzaga to be at its best, as crazy as it sounds, the Santa Clara's, the Loyola Marymounts, maybe USD, you know, certainly, you know, uh, Pacific has gotten better here. Um, you know, San Francisco, obviously, with what Coach Smith and Kyle, Kyle Golden did. So I think the WCC is probably the best it's been ever. But in order for it to keep getting better, in order for Gonzaga to continue to have the success they're having, getting number one seeds, it definitely helps the better the WCC gets, even if it means occasionally Gonzaga getting upset at San Francisco or, or, you know, a place like San Diego. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about not diving into rosters yeah. uh, early be in the summer because there's still <laughs> some transfers that might kind yeah. of settle themselves out. But when you take a quick look at Gonzaga's team for next year, obviously, yeah. you know, the, 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 the roster pretty well, or do you have any glaring concerns early? I don't really. Um, I don't know much about the high school kids coming in. Obviously, getting everybody to, not everybody, most of the guys to come back is, I think, a, is a win. You know, like uh, I said this early last season, and, you know, I joked about it, but I think Drew Timmy's got a chance to be Mr. Zag, you know, like, of, of the all-time greats. Like I did that thing recently, the Mount Rushmore, right? Of Zag basketball. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like you and I know Frank Burgess. Most fans don't know like the impact Frank Burgess had or, you know, Adam Morrison or, you know, I'll throw you in that tier. You know, uh, uh, you look at Gonzaga and I think of Drew Timmy and I think this guy could be the most prolific, uh, John Stockton, of course, how could I forget John, but the most prolific zag ever could be Drew Timmy if he stays all four years and the numbers he'll put up, you know, three-time All-American. So, you know, with, with Strother back, with Rasir Bolton back, with Drew Timmy, I'd say that's a, that's a terrific starting point uh, 
you know, to start your season. Who who's transferred in now? Remind me because I'm losing my mind. I'm on the draft. I'm on. Yeah, no. Uh, Efton Reed, the big man from LSU, who that's I think a potential. He's, yeah, he's got a ton of potential. Yeah. Uh, and then the Malachi Smith, who was the SoCon Player of the Year from Chattanooga. Yep. Um, and I talked to assistant coach Stephen Gentry the other day. You know, they're getting ready for summer school sessions, and uh, Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas have both made strides since the season has ended. So yeah. Um, I think it's only a matter of time. You know, I know you're yeah. good friends with Coach Few. You can quietly pull for programs yeah. Uh, yeah, as I do, a right? analyst, but you can't do it like with too much vigor and in, in, in on air. But uh, yeah. what, what would it mean for you, for Coach Few and Gonzaga to win a title? It'd be phenomenal. You know, um, you, he's been a longtime friend, um, like guys like Coach Izzo and Jay Wright, Scott Drew, by the way, all close friends of his, as you know, um, they do it the right way. Um, there's a standard of excellence, uh, not only in the basketball program, but um, the way the basketball team has represented, you know, your university, your graduate has been ex exemplary. And, you know, if you were a young coach trying to um, identify with a mentor, you know, you couldn't find anybody better than, than coach few. And so that's what I've always appreciated about him. But the other thing I appreciate about him, and I said this, and he said I was exactly right. Before they played Baylor in the national championship game, I tweeted out on a Sunday that no matter what happened Monday night, Wednesday morning, he'd be fishing in the Spokane River. <laughs> and he said to me later on, a few months later, you were right. <laughs> he was, you know. And so I just love his even-keeled approach. He's, he, You know he's one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. But away from the court, he's pretty low key family guy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I certainly do pull for my friends. Um, it doesn't manifest itself on the air. Like when you broadcast a game, we have to be neutral. I had a son played at Oklahoma. I did a ton of Oklahoma games. Oklahoma fans didn't like me because they thought I was being biased against Oklahoma. You'll you know, you'll never win that battle when you're in broadcasting. Yep. But uh, I, I'm in my I admire what he's done over 20 years. I was at. On radio, I was at the game in '99 where they had a chance to beat UConn, and that was the that was the that was the beginning of the renaissance of what has been now, I think, a blue blood program in college basketball. Yep, it is a blue blood program now, that's for sure. So, Fran, I appreciate the time. I look forward to uh, connecting again on some of this three on three. Uh, we'll talk stuff because that sounds fascinating, and I think it's it's definitely a way that young players can learn. Uh, skills and concepts much quicker. So appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the NBA draft as well that's coming up. Dan, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to catching up with you soon.